Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, I'm Swagat. I'm the co-founder of Smitten. Ek minute, ruk jo. Ready hona do. Chalo. Ye kar lete hain. This could be a great intro. If you speak to any of the top marketers in the country, they will tell you that marketing is more about data than creativity. In the good old days, they would get access to data through market research agencies that would do in-person interviews or telephonic surveys, and it would take months before a brand owner would get insights about his brand's performance. Smitten is a startup that is disrupting this decades-old industry along with many other industries. Smitten was founded by Swagata Sarangi, an ex-Googler who helped lead Google's early efforts at building its business in India. Smitten's incredible business model starts with acquiring customers for driving product trials and then leveraging the customer base to run a B2C e-commerce business and a B2B brand marketing business. Here's Swagata telling Akshay about his journey of building Smitten. This idea was kind of blowing up in my mind. So, so while I was like a big believer of digital, I realized that, okay, while digital will democratize access, digital will not actually solve for the adoption issues, uh, which a lot of brands are going to face or at least will not solve the paradox of choice for a lot of consumers. Rather, it's going to make them even more confused. Uh, and, and that's where people, while people will move away from offline transactions, uh, there is there is going to be this whole void of you having uh, still a physical touch and feel of the product and trying it yourself. And then if you look at it in the supply side, there is one side of the equation is your traditional brand houses. Uh, the other interesting thing that was coming up is the whole new age brands. Because yeah, it was the B2C brands. Yeah. I mean, B2C is a term now, but when we started, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we, started we said, okay, hey, there are a lot of these new brands that will come in. Uh, because two, three things were uh, happening, right? Your distribution was being democratized through all these marketplaces and all. Your 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 access and reach was being democratized through the Googles and Facebooks of the world through digital. So India is just kind of starting up. And, uh, and while these brands will have an access and distribution, these brands will not have big marketing dollars to be building the brand. And the only thing they will lead to is our product innovation. Right. And how do you convince a customer on a product innovation without giving the customer an experience? So so one side of the supply was like the traditional brands who always kept saying, I, we want a meaningful engagement. The new age brands who we knew that is going to be extremely difficult for them to acquire customers without giving a real product experience. The demand side, again, I mean, you realize that, okay, there is a set of consumer who is constantly living at FOMO. This is the new age, millennial, new age shoppers who we talk about, right? The digital natives. Uh, so so the digital natives, they are kind of, and we used to have a term called research online, purchase offline. So which was Ropo. Um, so I mean, suddenly you saw a, a kind of a explosion of 
research that is happening online for a particular product or a category or whatever it is. Uh, and then we said, okay, there is so much of a research happening and there is so much of a confusion also that's being created. Um, and, and, and the consumer is constantly looking for validation, they're constantly looking for new things and all that. So how can we kind of give them a, a kind of a quick, uh, I mean, click button kind of a outlet where they don't have to go to a physical uh, retail or kind of look for things what they want. I mean, would consumers pay for uh, it or would brands pay for it? Or, or like, w what would be the mechanics of this? Like, See, uh, we actually kind of started uh, with the th thought that brands should pay for it, right? Because sampling traditionally has been always free in the consumer's mind. Uh, the onus of getting the product is always with the brand. You produce, you decide with channel, you just give me, you hand it over a product to me. But very soon we realized that uh, there is a reason why the sampling also hasn't scaled. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, when there is a sampling happening, there is a value being created on both sides, right? So the the uh, brand is able to use, uh, let's say, first experience or a first trial of their product with a relevant audience and hope that there is a strong intent created. And for a user, the user is looking for a product for certain concern or a certain solution. And the user thinks that, okay, this product could be for me. And and hence, getting a smaller trial pack and all, that means either you are getting a validation, your decision-making process is becoming easier, or you, know, you are avoiding a bias regret, which like you would have impulsively gone and bought something, and which you saved your money, let's say. And so we see that, okay, why the load always has been shared by the brands? We need to figure a way out. And then the, the moment that that load, all the load goes to the brand, that there is this whole investment cap and that ROI and all those kind of discussions come in. Hmm. The uh, other thing which I also think, uh, I mean, when brand pays for sampling at point of sale, uh, they're uh, getting access to a high intent audience like an audience which intends to spend money on that shop but in this kind of a setup there is a chance that uh well you know indians like free kasaman kon mana karega like uh, so that is exactly the other reason why we did not have it for free right we said uh, and and if you see we are globally the first platform who has taken a very full-based approach to product sampling uh it's, it's always a push-based strategy for this thing. So here the consumer chooses what they want to, right? So if you see at the entry point itself, the brands get a very leaned-on consumer who's already probably has gone past the awareness and consideration stage in the purchase funnel. Because today at Smitten, we are showing thousands of products which are available for trial to a consumer, right? But the consumer at any point in time can only choose six products. Right. So, 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 so if I'm choosing six products out of so many uh, ones, first of all, I'm filtering out and I'm going for something which I'm uh, finding interesting or I am in, I'm in need of. Um, so, so that is the way, uh, that is a way, uh, kind of a natural selection that happens for brands in terms of their product sampling. So the second thing is for brands, uh, we also, I mean, Thanks to digital, you have a lot of data about the users, their preferences, their understanding and stuff and all that. So we actually kind of give a very micro-targeting option 
to the brands where they can speak to a very relevant audience. I mean, there is a whole consumer science, there is a machine learning, there's AI that kind of kicks in, which kind of makes the targeting further finer and finer for the brands so that they're talking to their most probable consumers. Okay. Um, so, you know, talk to me about the journey of figuring out product market fit and uh, figuring out how to add value to both sides, uh, supply and demand. Like, you know, what did you start with initially and, and how did those assumptions fare and, you know, what, what kind of experiments worked out, what didn't work out? So we actually uh, launched the platform in two phases. So we launched a kind of a beta version somewhere around end of 2015. The consumer version was launched in February 2016. Um, so, so we did about a two months of closed testing just to kind of understand again. I mean, very closed bunch of users, like 4,000, 5,000 users. That time we were giving like three sample products. So you just sign up. And uh, and once you so there was a delay because we would actually go and approve a user or disapprove a user, uh, and and there was a, like a small algorithm. And that time, uh, with whatever public information that was available about the user, based on that, we will create a persona and we'll accept or reject their uh, membership request. And once they're accepted, um, it's free for them. So you could just come and select any three products in in your feed. And three a month or just three? Three like. Three at any point in time. So you could select three and you could kind of check out. And uh, then you, after like a one week, you have to kind of manually fill up the feedback for those three products. And then you would be allowed to try three more. Okay. Got it. Hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so the, so the uh, thing was that you have to manually give a feedback uh, on, on your trial experience. We realized that if you do this, uh, the platform would be, would be probably a lot more utilized for NPDs and product research and all that, where brands need a very detailed uh, feedback, very deep consumer engagement. But it will never be used uh, in terms of a larger discovery and a kind of a go-to-market uh, channel for brands. Uh, and for that, then we had to kind of make it a lot simpler and a lot more attractive for the brands itself. Uh, then we said, okay, um, so let's just take off all the costs from the brand overhead. Let let brand let brand not pay anything uh, for every valid sampling. Uh, let brand let brand. But, but they would the brand would still give you the samples free, right? Like, they would. Like they, that they would. Cost of product is still being borne by the brand, but they are not bearing any other cost in terms of a promotional cost yeah, to access yeah, the yeah. discovery feedback, etc. Yeah. Got it. So the cost of product in the overall scheme of things, the cost of product is less than 10%, right? If you look at your overall sampling cost, uh, it's, it's the 90% is your distribution cost uh, and, the, and the reach cost. So that we kind of took away completely from the brands. When you uh, And what changed on the consumer side then? L like uh, uh, you made it free on the brand side. Uh, what about the consumer the side? Consumer we started charging. So, in fact, we started charging 99 rupees to consumers for the three. So, initially, we used to kind of give three and uh, we used to charge 99 rupees. Did they also have to fill a feedback form? Or? Yeah, yeah, they still had to fill a feedback form. Okay, so to get before they can access the next three, they have to fill out a feedback form. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And it's up to them, like they can do as many sets of three as they want. Like yeah. they can do yeah. four in a month or one in a month. Yeah. Yeah. But they are paying for it so automatically that yeah. uh, there's no misuse. Yeah. I think demand has never been a problem for our business. 
why is demand not a problem i, I would imagine uh, it would be as much of a problem as any d2c brand because you're still selling products to consumers we are not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not selling products right so if you see uh, today uh, as i was telling you the consumer is living in fomo all the time they want to try but the the biggest barrier for them is your entry point for a new product trial or all is high like if, if i have to try a dc brand shampoo let's say a coffee shampoo you are asking me to pay you 700 bucks what if what if i don't like the coffee shampoo what if suddenly my i start a hair fall so uh, so i i want to try but there is a barrier so we took up that barrier was there a significant cost saving like you're saying 700 rupees for a shampoo and here for 99 rupees they get three products would it include that full size 700 oh, okay. rupee bottle me, or let me correct you the consumer is not even paying 99 rupees because you immediately you used to immediately credit that 99 rupees back as a cash back oh right so okay. and and you okay. you you automatically get that discount of 99 rupees when you are buying something and uh, like uh, buying where like like buying on website buying on website ah so they have a smitten wallet and they do that sampling and they try stuff for 99 rupees and that 99 rupees also then goes into their smitten wallet which then on the smitten uh, uh like like list of products they can then spend it on yeah. actual yeah okay but but the sampling packs were smaller like traditionally you yeah, have like sampling packs would be 20 to 25 ml good enough for 3 to 4 years mm-hmm. so yeah essentially it's free then okay yeah. that free is still being maintained as a value prop uh, however uh, misuse is being prevented because they need to like shell money out of their bank account into the smitten wallet yeah. uh, mm. yes mm-hmm. so so you're solving for intent then yeah uh, yeah uh, okay 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 got it amazing interesting and uh, so uh, how, how did the you know what kind of traction did you see like you had 4 5000 people in that beta version uh, from there how, what kind of numbers did you see growing year on year like, like give me some uh, idea of the growth from the consumer side see again i mean i would say that first one one our peers was a bit restrictive for us from a supply side of things and we probably will go about having a half a million users uh in the first 12 to 18 months uh yeah, and so these are users who have made at least one paid transaction yeah yeah i mean users who come uh i mean for a trial is the transaction right so the, there are two types of transactions once we had about 100 200 brands on the platform who had their portfolio on sapling uh things became a lot easier for us on the acquisition side of it there was a lot of skepticism in the market especially with the brand owners on this model and and i, I think uh, they they had some past bad experiences with few other models where they were promised something wasn't delivered so and like other startups who tried something it's, not, it's like for example i mean i'd say a lot of subscription boxes which came uh, came into existence and which would go and kind of promise a lot of things that as a as a post purchase journey or as a overall awareness metrics and all that and, and they were like not delivered we call ourselves at the end of the day more of a consumer science company we are an out and out pre purchase consumer science company uh, if you had to kind of give us a definition or a domain i would say we would probably fall there 
Uh, I'll come to breaking this down. Uh, this is an interesting term you use, pre-purchase consumer science. Uh, but uh, like, like 2017, you were at, say, half a million. Uh, so how has that grown? What is it today? Like, today, we're almost approaching that. about 10 million users on the platform. Now, uh, uh, let's come to the consumer science aspect of this. Um, so you are no longer asking people to fill out a feedback form. Uh, or uh, uh, that is still mandatory. So that is not mandatory. That is optional now. So so it's not mandatory. But yeah, I mean, we do get millions of feedback every single month hmm. yeah. based on what we want to test out, what brands want. So it could be just a simple uh, NPS kind of a thing saying, okay, rate me and tell me, would you recommend this product? Or it would be like, let's say, product feature study saying that, hey, what, how did you find the fragrance of this product? Rate on a scale of 1 to 10. Or it could be a detailed question where you want to test out certain hypothesis, certain feature and stuff and all that. So it's completely customizable. But but that's your call or the brand's call? The brand may want to ask 40 questions. Uh, we would say that, okay, what is the core hypothesis you are trying to test out, right? You don't even need 40 questions. You may just need two questions. Maybe there's some gamification there or something like that to yeah. encourage so, people to... Yeah, yeah. So, that is, so we, have a, we have a loyalty program so in which we kind of keep rewarding people who engage constantly, give their feedback. We reward people more when they actually give a lot more constructive and subjective feedback. So all those, all those things happen. Uh, is this feedback social? Like can... Uh... Other people on the platform see my feedback. Can they follow me for my feedback? Uh, they trust my feedback. No, right now we again publish your feedback, but we kind of uh, hide your identity. Um, so, so because again, I mean, we put user privacy at the forefront of it. Um, so that is an option where the user put select that okay, they want to publish their feedback in public, and and in that case, we put kind of put a picture and kind of name and stuff and all that. Otherwise, we even mask the surname and everything, and we just put the name. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm again talking as a user. I love leaving feedback on Google Maps about places I go to, and, and Google Maps has gamified it very well with giving you badges and stuff like that. And they keep prompting you that 2,000 people found your photos useful or 50,000 people have seen all the photos you've uploaded. And, uh, like, 10 people are following you or stuff. So, so, I mean, why don't you build that in? Like, like, a, I, I it's, think... a, it's a community program that we have. Where, uh, so we have reviewers and we have this thing who have signed up to that. So if you, sign, if you sign up to that community program, we will make it public. We'll give you a batch and all those things are there. Uh, but as a general user, and listen until you have signed up to our community program, we would protect your brands. Hmm, hmm. Okay. So uh, now... Uh, you're saying that you are essentially a consumer science company. Is there another way to monetize the consumer science insights that you are getting here? Because you're not directly charging the brands anything, right? Yeah. The sampling. Today, we kind of monetize on a lot of services we offer to the brands. Uh, so, I mean, it could be a new market entry. It could be a product discovery. Uh, and of course, I mean, as a standard marketplace, we make margin when sales and everything kind of happens. So go back to the, I remember 2000, let's say 2008, 9, 10, 10 uh, any monetary outlet you would walk in, you pick up a shampoo, you will have a small conditioner attached to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Right? And, uh, and I mean, I remember in HOL, because I was in modern trade, 
like it was a mandate that not even a single uh, shampoo has to go to shelf without our conditioner being kitted why that sachet trial sachet yeah and and the industry did that consistently for almost like half a decade uh and and the reason that uh, industry did that at such a scale and such consistently is because your consumer behavior was not to buy a conditioner along with the shampoo today you don't even think twice you are buying a shampoo you are buying a conditioner right that time conditioner wasn't there in the consumer basket now now after half a decade of this kind of a inducing trial it became a behavior now you are kind of buying a conditioner imagine a product like let's say hair mask which is a pre conditioning right so you you apply it before you shampoo and then you apply a kind of conditioner so uh, and hair mask is a category like every new age brand if you today see you can go and search for hair mask every single brand will have their hair mask but the hair mask is an adaptation will take again few years before the consumer actually kind of makes it a part of their regular basket like you would know at a micro level like these 10000 customers are going to be a good segment to pitch this product right yeah. uh, uh would uh, that data help a brand to show them ads across other platforms also like those 10000 customers would see relevant ads on facebook also or is just that on smitten they would see relevant product recommendations yeah we are always the brand first approach um and anything that helps the brands in reducing their uh, consumer engagement cost or consumer acquisition cost we will facilitate that for them right so so if it is about kind of using these data signals to optimize their marketing campaigns across other digital platforms if so it be it will be available to them so in in what form at at what level L- like uh, would it be that at at the micro level that i akshay that uh, it not it, is that yeah, it's a digital this thing right like for example today what you are typing in whatsapp right so it's all encrypted so so somewhere uh, the system is making a lot of sense out of it because the system still gives you recommendations suggestions uh, and all those things but it is not kind of uh, actual data read by anyone so so similarly we will give you the we will pass on the digital footprint of you where you will be able to retarget you as a digital persona but they would not know exactly that you are access at whatever whoever it is it's called data hashing you can hash your data and you can feed it onto any of these platforms if you like to hear stories of founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like spotify gana apple podcasts and subscribe to the show so uh, i want to understand uh, is smitten a b2c company or a b2b company you know what do you see it as primarily uh, you know i mean are you into the business of e-commerce and therefore competing with amazon flipkart misho etc or are you into the business of being like a shopify which helps uh, businesses to grow okay first of all i i don't understand this obsession to pocketize a business right whether a b2c or a b2b let me give you an example of youtube right um what what would you call youtube is it a b2c company or is it a b2b company 
So we are probably taking, we are one of the very few players who are taking a stab at the full funnel. So we are building a full stack solution across the consumer funnel, um, starting from the discovery phase, the standard awareness, consideration, intent, purchase, advocacy, that you kind of the traditional marketing model. And there is a supply side in it, there is a demand side in it. We have solutions for both sides. So uh, what is your earning split between these two lines of businesses? Uh, I would say a split would be because consumer, again, it's the uh, much wider uh, segment to tap into, right? It seems a bit audacious to go up against uh, Flipkart and Amazon considering how much capital they have raised and... uh, how much investment they have done in enabling next day delivery and that whole, uh, you know, uh, of making everything work. And um, so so, uh, what's your strategy here? Are you like going to be like a head-on competitor building everything, uh, you know, in terms of that whole capability of next day delivery and uh, the whole full stack e-commerce ability of Amazon, which might need a lot of burn or like, you know, what is, what's going to be your strategy? See, first of all, I mean, I don't think we are uh, competing with Amazon or uh, Flipkart, right? Rather, we are uh, hoping that they spend billions of dollars and create the market for us. Uh, Because at the end of the day, uh, if in India, if you see if the online consumption or penetration has to increase, I mean, we barely in a retail market of $900 billion, e-commerce is barely $40, $50 billion. We haven't even penetrated 5% of it. Uh, and and this 5%, if you compare any developed economy and all, this 5% has to go to 20, 25%. So that is a headroom of at least a 5x growth from here in terms of where the overall online commerce or transaction market could go into. And... So, so that itself is you're saying uh, today, if it is 40 billion, it will become 250 billion, right? So, there's an extra 200 billion dollar of consumption that will come into the online space. And that 200 billion dollar of consumption is not going to happen without billions of dollars of investment again. And, and we are hoping Amazon Flipkart to make that investment so that once the consumers are habituated and they are kind of their basket is gradually moved into. Uh, more of an online stuff and all that. That is the time when we go and we build a, uh, uh, we we help them to kind of shop online and make their decision online much better. But why do you say you're not directly competing with them for a certain set of categories you would be, right? Like say uh, food, beauty, uh, you know, these kind of categories. Maybe not electronics, but everything else which is sampleable. Um you would be directly competing with Amazon Flipkart, even like say a big bazaar. See, again, uh, as the market increases, right, there are going to be a lot of vertical play. And and those vertical plays uh, standalone themselves are going to be uh, decently sized. Um, so today, even like, okay, let's take an example of uh, uh, a vertical platform or an iCar, take an iCar or a purple, right? Like if you see from a, uh, volume perspective, from a revenue perspective, Amazon is probably, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm i just guesstimating they would be clocking more than a $10 billion, $10 $50 billion in it, uh, which is almost like, let's say, 75,000, 80,000 crores. Uh, in that a platform doing 1,000 crores, uh, is that a competition uh, for Amazon? Yes or, yes or no, right? I mean, uh, from 80,000 crore to 1,000 crore, yes, in that particular vertical, that 1,000 crore could be a land share. 
Um, so, so yeah, I mean, these kind of models are going to evolve in India. So uh, you said your margins are pretty healthy. I think it's because you don't need to do discounting because a customer is, uh, once somebody has done sampling, then they have that money in their wallet, which they would want to spend. So, so they are like, you know, that stickiness is pretty high with customers. You don't need to attract them by doing discounting. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as I, as I said, I mean, uh, the categories we deal with, a uh, consumer is not making a decision just purely based on the discount. You would not buy a night cream paying 2000 rupees just because there is an additional 20% discount. I mean, you would want to really know that whether this thing really works for me or not. Uh, and, and, and whether it is authentic or not, there are a lot of trust issues again, a lot of competing happening in the other thing. But, the, you have to be very clear that whether you want 500 million users as your base or you are happy with 50 million users as your base. Uh, and there is a business model for everyone. Like Amazon today would be optimizing for 500 million. There are businesses who are optimizing, like you look at Thread and Thread is optimizing for 15 million, 20 million credit card users in the country. It's a, it's a, it's a $4 billion valuation company. I mean, just you can see by the sheer volume of the TG they have, is just 20 million people. Mm -hmm. So, so what are you optimizing for? 100 million top shoppers in the country. So as I said, I mean, who have the disposable income and who, whose behavior, shopping behavior is dramatically changing and moving from offline to online. And the basket is exponentially expanding. And uh, currently, uh, what is the demographics like age or uh, tier one, tier two, tier three or stuff like that like so we uh primarily focus on people within the age group of 21 to 35 um so that that's our core audience segment and uh the reason also being that these are the people who are discovering who are exploring who still haven't figured out what really works for them or what they want uh and uh and then from a, a demographics perspective again i mean 60 70 percent of them would be female for 30 40 percent would be male uh, 50, 60% would be Metro tier one, and then another 30, 40% would be like tier two. Um, so beyond. And, and as, as we, as we grow, of course, the mix is going to change. And I think the tier two, uh, is going to play a very significant role. Uh, not only for us, I think for a lot of platforms, um, because that's where the next wave of growth is coming in. We, we have a lot of organic traction because if you go today, go and see. Uh, almost like every single day, there are about hundreds of people making video about us and posting on their Instagram, social handles and stuff and all that. So there is a lot of organic traction. And then, of course, like everyone else, we do the paid advertising and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, on the paid side, uh, what do you spend on? Is it just the uh, like the ads or are you also doing stuff like paying influencers and uh, like, you know, the, the other formats besides just regular campaigns. See, again, uh, it's a full stack uh, uh, approach, right? To uh, starting from digital to influencers to uh, uh, kind of a bit of a auto strategy, uh, auto O, which is offline to online. So we also do a lot of activations like small kiosk activations, experience zones. Uh, across across smaller towns, share to towns, where uh, we we believe that probably the digital penetration is gonna take a lot longer in terms of building the trust and all that. So so it's a mix. I mean, I would say we have a lot of co-marketing partners we work with on multiple things. So we have partnered with banks, we have partnered with concierge services, 
um, so where we do a lot of co campaigns for their customer base. Um, yeah. Mm, got it. Okay. Like for a bank, uh, when they give credit card rewards and like you are entitled to these rewards when you get a card. So one of them would be like maybe some hundred rupees on smitten or 500. Rupees. It's not that we are, we are again, very focused on the consumer experience, right? We would not kind of do just a coupon and all that. So there are, uh, you know, partners where when they onboard a new consumer, we actually co-brand our box and we send out a, mass, a welcome kit. Um, so with a, with a, with a kind of a smitten uh, sign up automatically done for them. Um, so there are, there are again, API integrations and tech integrations. So we are almost kind of integrating with every new bank in the country. This is pretty cool. Uh, the automatic gift hamper to, uh, users of certain, uh, like these Alliance partners and, uh, when these, uh, users of Alliance partners get the hamper, do they also get that balance in their account or? Uh, they just get a hamper with the, like co-branded by Smitten. No, so they get a hamper with the complete sign-on process uh, integrated, right? So they can just scan a code and just come on to Smitten. And then for the first experience, we would have, I mean, defined a very different path for them, saying that, hey, we welcome you. And so there's a lot of lot of product play that happens where we kind of differentiate. No, uh, sorry, uh, they get a, like a... Uh, uh, they get a physical, uh, like a hamper with some products. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and how would you decide who gets what? Like, uh, it's, it's, it's like it depends on the partner, right? We understand their demographics, what kind of a consumer they are acquiring. And then we'll keep, we'll keep changing the option. And there are many a times uh, brands also kind of want to reach out to a certain TG. So we will go and kind of talk to brands saying, hey, I mean, this is the uh, partner. These are the kind of users they are onboarding. So do you like to talk to them? So we sometimes also co-design with the brand partners uh, just to give them an access to a certain audience based on who the commodity partner is. Okay, 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 okay. And uh, sorry, I interrupted you. You were telling me the flow for uh, such customers who are like Alliance so, partner customers. So again, when they come in, so they automatically are onboarded and they have a different journey where we kind of do a onboarding and welcome messaging to them to giving them specific offers. Like for example, if you are ex-bank customer and, and you are coming in through the onboarding and all that, you will have a complete differentiated offering built in for you. So okay. okay. And the offline activation you do, uh, is that again, cons cons uh, consumers sign up and they get a physical hamper on the spot or they... Uh, no, no, so it's, like a, it's, like a, tablet. it's like an app replica, right? We'll do an experience center. You come in, you can sign in automatically. There is a tab automatically. If you enter your phone number, we just sign you up. And then you can enter the this thing, you can pick up your products and by the time you're out and you can just show the products and then you scan a QR and then we credit the cash back into the app. So let's talk about the B2B side of the business now. Like help me understand what are the various offerings in that that you offer to brand. Are, are these like productized offerings or are these like custom, custom built service based kind of offerings? No, so uh, again, I mean, it's prioritized, but yet it is customized because uh, what we realized is every brand's need or problem statement is very different. I mean, there are many times brands look for very specific solutions. Like, for example, like if a brand is looking at, let's say, a price discovery or a feature discovery. Um, so those are the times when we customize the solution, we layer it, and sometimes uh, 
we also facilitated a lot of direct consumer interaction where our team would actually kind of do uh, interviews, direct consumer interviews and recorded lines with the consumer consent. And then those are kind of deciphered. Um, so we many times also used uh, NLPs and all that just to understand feedback at scale, which is provided to brands in a kind of a much better or understandable way. Um, so yeah, so quite a few solutions. Hmm. Okay. So uh, like helping a brand understand uh, awareness of their brand, how, how, how does this happen? Like. See, it's a lot of brands do brand track, right? I mean, this is a very standard practice. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's always like every month they will do a brand track, uh, understanding whether their affinity has gone up, but gone down, how are they behaving, pairing, uh, I guess, competition. So what our system does is uh, basically uh, you will define your TG, saying that, hey, uh, my, my core TG is, let's say, uh, 18 to 22 with certain characteristics, right? Like the typical psychographic wave. And now once you have defined that, um, the system automatically kind of identifies the pool of the customers where they want to show this uh, as a survey response. Uh, and and typically when we show it, uh, the consumer is incentivized a little bit. So we also have in one loyalty program called Smitten Bucks. And so where every, every time a consumer interacts or engages on the app, we actually give them certain smitten bucks and you could use the smitten bucks. Uh, there's a massive reward catalog. Uh, there are uh, partner vouchers and all that. So which you can kind of redeem this for. Uh, and the, consum the consumers kind of fill it up, which um, we kind of feed it back to the brand. Um, and, and, and the whole uh, of audience recruitment, segmentation and everything is done by the machine. Um, so through the learning of our consumers. So there is not much of a human intervention actually happens. Hmm. Hmm. So what about preparing the questionnaire uh, that the brand makes the questionnaire? Or uh, there, there, like so, so we have a, we have a in-house team. Um, so with like a couple of researchers and all that who have worked with uh, Nielsen's and IMRBs of the world. Uh, and uh, they will help the brand kind of prepare a decent enough questionnaire. And many times brand would come back for a simple problem. They would come back with a questionnaire of 50 questions. And then we would go back and we say that, okay, if you ask a consumer 50 questions, you're never going to get the true response, right? I mean, after uh, 10 questions, the consumer just does A, B, C, A, B, C, because, because that is an incentive for ultimately. I mean, they, it's like a... You have already invested uh, time and you, you're like now stuck upon that. I want that reward. And the next 20 questions, you just uh, do it for the heck of doing it. So essentially what traditional offline market research agencies like IMRB Nielsen are doing, you are able to do that much cheaper uh, with people who have the Smitten app on their phone because you're able to directly incentivize them with Smitten bucks. And uh, therefore the need for having a very large... Uh, workforce who does calling and administering surveys and oh, stuff like that is yeah. completely eliminated. Yeah. See, one is, of course, because uh, the uh, nature of the users on the platform is that, that they try and they give a feedback, right? So, so we asking them feedback is nothing off track. Uh, that is any way the consumer kind of does. Uh, and second is, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of uh, technology and machine-driven uh, interventions rather than manual ones, right? Even for reading feedbacks and all that at that scale. So, I mean, we would kind of use a bit of an NLP. 
uh, rather than somebody going and reading through the this thing. And um, so uh, we we just launched a very interesting service where I mean it's on my LinkedIn also. It's a seventy two hour research. So we actually we actually are able to deliver uh, responses from ten thousand plus respondents uh, to you with the, with they trying the product and giving you the feedback within seventy two hours. Uh, and 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 to for a traditional market research player to do this, like even for a thousand respondents, they would take minimum three months. So, how do you do it in seventy two hours? It must be taking half that time just to get the product to the customer, right? Like- it's a it's an express delivery, right? So the next day, uh, so it's an overnight delivery. So we'll get the product the next day, and uh, then then the consumer. Consumer has forty eight hours to kind of try and kind of respond, and yeah, and that we will keep re- we'll keep reminding the user because it will be live in their feed for forty eight hours more. So we'll send a reminder saying, "Hey, uh, it's live for another twenty four hours or forty eight hours." You just kind of fill it up. We have done concept testing for a lot of brands, right? Like when they're expanding their product portfolio or when they're launching a kind of a new brand, like an Maybe something in the adjacent category, like for example, let's say a brand who's into uh, skincare is kind of looking into getting into active skincare, and and they want to understand a few things. So, so concept testing, category expansion. So these are like, uh, I mean, see, uh, uh, the typical four or five kinds of researches happen, right? I mean, it's again a very world consumer science. So. Um, so all those kind of standard researches are available to you uh, with a, uh, again, very relevant and bias-free audience recruitment process. Hmm, 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 hmm. Uh, is this uh, like completely off the shelf self-service? Like say I don't have a business yet, but I'm thinking, okay, I think this product would sell. Can someone like me also come on to Smitten and run a survey just to test my idea? Um, or, uh, no, you have to be a partner uh, with us, of course, because you'll have to have access to the portal and everything. So this is like a subscription product on the business side, which is not just brands, but even agencies could subscribe to this. Yeah. Uh, uh, what other services do you provide to brands? Like if we can talk through the details of them. So there is a lot of re-engagement uh, that we offer to the brands, right? Like, for example, uh, uh, we track their NPS from their feedback uh, closely. And uh, let's say if they want to kind of do a deep dive into a low NPS score they're getting from a certain cohort or a certain kind of an audience, uh, they could actually kind of uh, do that. Because we host consumers who also deal with multiple categories and to purchases, to trials, for everything. So we are able to at least give brands a very relevant insight in terms of how their consumer cohort is behaving. To what extent is this uh, pure product, no human intervention, and to what extent is it customized? Because this sounds like uh, hard to have pure product, which is like completely system generated because, I mean, even deciding whom to compare against and, uh, you know, uh, like like drawing out these analytics looks like something which you need human intelligence to do and then give a brand a meaningful report. Uh, see, again, as I said, a lot of standard things are machine-driven. And if you are looking for anything specific, of course, there is a human intervention. And uh, uh, 
lot of cases, as I said, every brand's problem is different. Every brand's ask is different. So we will layer, of course, the human intelligence on top of it. But so, so a brand can probably pick and choose cohort options and uh, comparative brand options and then generate a report from it on their own. Like, uh, I guess it would be something like that. Like, see, again, you can choose parameters to make see, it. Yeah, there would be, of course, restrictions, right? Because we cannot give you a data against your direct competition. That will not be that will not be right. So everything is essentially aggregated at a category level or at a subcategory level. For example, you could see that, okay, let's say uh, Telangana as a state, uh, my affinity is kind of going down over the last few months. There is a downward trajectory compared in the, in the, in my, in the category I'm operating. Uh, but it will not tell you that, okay, who is tell taking the share or who is kind of, uh, which brand is essentially leading. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, you also uh, told me that you help uh, companies to get more bang off from their buck in terms of their marketing spend on other platforms. Like if they're spending on a Facebook campaign, then uh, you are able to help them do better targeting and get uh, like drive more efficiency for those kind of campaigns. So can you talk to me on the mechanics of that? Like how you do that? Like as I was telling you the other day, like let's say uh, a brand is launching a body oil. Uh, the body oil penetration as a category in the whole beauty space is less than 2%. So now if you advertise on any other platform, um, so basically you have a built-in 98% pilferage in your media plan. But where we we can we can give you access to that two percent because we know that this this X number of people have actually tried, and they may not be consumers of body oil today because it is probably few months, few years away. But the whole inherent nature because the trial is risk free. A consumer starts trying things lot before even he thinks of buying the product, and that is the that is the phase where we know and we are able to give brands access to a very relevant cohort where they are actually targeting them on the intent, not on the top of the funnel of saying, okay, I will blast 50 impressions for uh, having my top of mind awareness and then I will blast another 200 impressions where my consideration uplift will happen and then I will finally come to intent. Uh, so that's where uh, we, we kind of bring in value for the brands in terms of doing this micro-targeting, micro-segmentations. Uh, and uh, also, uh, because again, a lot of uh, users try the products uh, of the brand, uh, in terms of a re-engagement perspective, it is a lot more efficient for them uh, uh, to reach out that segment. And we kind of, again, help the brands reach out to that segment, not only on our platform, but across uh, other platforms. So we will essentially... Uh, give them this data access uh, to reach out to the users on, a, let's say, Facebook or a Google or an open web. Uh, so at least they know that they're talking to an audience set which has an eye intent. It's, again, uh, nothing new. I mean, a lot of these programmatic platforms and all that, if you see, uh, they take they, they data from multiple data sources and they kind of ultimately uh, give you the API to uh, push the data into the whole ad networks across, including Google, Facebook, and other networks. So it's something... Okay, give me an example of a programmatic ad platform, like a name I may have think heard. Of, like, think, like, of, like, think of someone... Like, yeah, I mean, it, any DSP, right? Any demand-side platform, that's what they do. I mean, it could be in movie. Think of a platform like, let's say, MIQ. 
Um, so they their whole MIQ. Okay. M- M- MIQ. So it's a MIQ. Yeah. Okay. So it's again, I think uh, London. I think they're headquartered in London. So if you see see their whole data is uh, basically they have uh, tie ups with a lot of telcos and a lot of retailers and stuff and all that. And they collect all that data and then they kind of uh, try to kind of layer their data before one advertises pushes their ad into a Google or a Facebook. So basically, they will make your audience more relevant on a Google or a Facebook compared to what targeting a Google or a Facebook is giving. Facebook doesn't have shopping intent data. So some a platform like MIQ is able to help you spend your money better by giving you some hints about intent based on data which they have collected across multiple other sources about yeah. that same profile. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. See, yeah, like for see, example, they can say that if you want to target top spenders, then Facebook wouldn't know who's a top spender, but yeah. MIQ might know who's a top spender. Yes. Yes. See, every DSP, essentially, that's the strength of a DSP, right? So they will try to kind of collect. What's the demand? What's the full form of DSP again? So demand side platform. Demand side platform. Okay. How would they be earning? Like like uh, some percentage of your ad spend goes to them. Yeah. So and, and, uh, and that like is like, say, if you're spending $100, so you will pay the demand side platform $100 plus X percentage or Facebook will get uh, $100 minus X percentage. Like, how does it work? Like, uh, so they will uh, have a platform fee, right? I mean, they're, uh, so so either the platform fee can be uh, based on like a number of impressions you serve or it could be num- number of transactions you drive. So there are different models these guys kind of work under. Mm, okay. So uh, like this is something which would be in your roadmap as well to create a DSP because again, the as you said, the USP of DSPs is that they have more intelligent information uh, about customer intent. Yeah. And yeah. that is something which again, uh, as Smitten, you already have that. So uh, this, See, like, well, I mean, this would be a logical... We would not create a DSP because DSP is essentially, uh, it's an ad business, right? So which kind of taps into larger ad networks and all that. Essentially, uh, for a D2C brand, they don't need to use a DSP then. Like if they are working with Smitten, then Smitten is their DSP. Okay? Or you're saying that Smitten will be one of the DSPs that they will work with. See the again in future, like uh, yeah, today. But uh, see, see the DSP will give you generic consumer data. Uh, We we can give you your consumer data. So basically, basically because that that those users essentially have tried your product, have given feedback about your product. So it's it's not again some random triangulation. So uh, so essentially, you would like to be in that place where, for certain let's say, brands which are targeting more. Uh, premium rather than mass market uh, consumers, you would want them to ideally look at you as their only DSP. Like that that would be like the long-term objective. Like they don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes and no. As I said, I mean, I don't, uh, we don't say that, okay, you move all your ad expenses to us and all that. Uh, but we would say that, okay, I mean, if you are, uh, driving a specific objective and and probably uh, so again I mean there are two objectives for the brand side so one they want to reach out to a much wider audience uh, or kind of they would make a lot of spend if they want to kind of build a brand or they want to do a lot of things because they want to kind of uh, 
re-engage or keep the user loyal or busy or something. So we're saying we'll we'll have use case for you in in certain areas, and you decide uh, what you kind of want to work. With. It seems to me that your B two B side is really powerful, and um, uh, the B two C is helping that flywheel to deliver much better margins on the B two B side. I would say, like uh, because uh, all of these are like industries in themselves. You know, like DSP is an industry in itself that you're disrupting. Uh, market research is an industry in itself that you're disrupting. I mean, you're actually like disrupting multiple industries on the B two B side. Like, like that sounds like the the real uh, reason why a VC would be excited to invest in Smith, for example. You know, rather than as a competitor to Flipkart, Amazon, and operating in that uh, retail e-commerce space. Uh, I mean, th- that seems like yes, you need to do that because it gives you data, but that's not. Uh, really, where the value creation is happening—that's what it seems to me. Like, w- w- what do you? We are a full-stack solution. Of course, there are a lot of interesting solutions for the brands. But again, I mean, from a consumer perspective, also uh, we are here to solve a real problem for the consumers, which is again the problem of adoption and discovery. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is, t h e p o d i u m dot i n for a complete list of all our shows. Before we end the episode, I want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster. I started podcasting in 2020 and in the last 2 years I've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping India's future across sectors. If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network, then you must consider becoming a podcaster. And the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with Zencaster, which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting. from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization if you are planning to check out the platform then please show your support for the founder thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai/founderthesis that's zen.ai/founderthesis